The Big Picture, a Christian insight into the world of movies, television and pop culture with magazine editor Ben McKechn and scriptwriter Mark Hadley. A Bible Society Australia production, sharing the light of God's Word into every corner of your world. How do you do? I'm Ben McKechn. And I'm his 3D animated friend, Mark Hadley. Welcome to episode 113 of The Big Picture for the week beginning June 26. Coming up on today's show, Twin Peaks Season 3 is officially the weirdest TV show around. Ben's going to try and explain it. Yes, I am. Also, Pixar's car franchise is back at pole position for its third lap at cinemas. And I take a family trip to the drive-in before revving up the top five car movies. Zoom, zoom, vroom, vroom, etc, etc. G'day, Sam. Hello. I'm excited about that smorgasbord. <laughs> that is, that is oh, a, Twin Peaks, one of my favourite shows ever. A smorgasbord. And Cars, <laughs> which I don't love heaps, but it's, <laughs> it's back. I love it, though, because this entire episode is a driving episode. I mean, it's going to be fantastic, <laughs> apart I, from Twin Peaks. I don't know what that is. I don't know how Twin Peaks and Cars got in the same show, but maybe this is the first show ever that's combined those two things. Well, there Ben we McKechn, kick yourself by telling us what's at the movies. Something week. not to be confused with Twin Peaks or Cars is a movie that opened at cinemas last week, a little movie you might like to call Transformers The Last Night. Oh, oh, oh. Finally, Transformers... Bayham. And King Arthur and Anthony Hopkins are in the same movie. King Arthur? Uh. Like, it's The Legend of King Arthur and, like, King Arthur's Court and that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. Really? Oh, yeah. Am I serious? How of course did that I am. Happen? And there are aliens. Don't and, forget the aliens. Yeah. Find out because Transformers last night's at cinemas and Mark's going to talk about it on next week's show. On Blu-ray and DVD, one of the best films this year, uh, Silence. Martin Scorsese's magnificent film set in 17th century Japan about Portuguese priests and Japanese Christians who face torture and humiliation for their outlawed faith. I thought, we all thought, actually, Silence was just a fantastic portrait of um, a Christian faith under fire. It's an excellent film on DVD and Blu-ray right now. All right, what's on the TV, Mark? Well, here's the interesting thing. I mean, if you like a foreign correspondent, you like seeing the world through the lens of, mm-hmm. of excellent journalism, this Tuesday, June 27, 8.30pm, the ABC's foreign correspondent turns the lens on Australia. Okay, so now this <laughs> That's is, a lie then, isn't oh, it? Yeah. <laughs> Not so foreign. No, no, no it's, it is foreign. That's the really interesting thing because basically through the eyes, it's a one-off special, through the eyes of New York Times national correspondent John Elgin, Elgin can't really get his name right, but anyway, um, he, he covers the race issues of Australia oh. from the outside perspective looking in at us. Oh, I think this actually could be really quite interesting to and hear. And awkward. What, yeah, but to hear what the rest of the world actually yeah. thinks of us and yeah. our immigration policies. Wow. So I'm, I'm actually thinking that's well worth tuning in for, so have a look at that this Tuesday. Uh, also, and this is just a, an interesting thing you should see. Now, every time we talk about film, we've got to remember that largely our attention is drawn by the uh, Western film industry. And yet there are many film industries out there, quite large. So Netflix is releasing this week uh, Okja, which is basically a big release for a South South Korean American action production. And it's a film starring an ensemble cast headed up by South Korean child actress Ahn Seo Hyun alongside Tilda Swinton, Paul Dano and Jake Gyllenhaal. Okay. Yeah, so there's some yeah. big names, but from both sides. We just might not recognise some of those names. Yeah. It follows the life of Mija, a young girl who risks everything to prevent a powerful multinational company from kidnapping her best friend, who happens to be a massive animal named 
Okja. So it's not what you would call a traditional Western storyline because we don't have that many massive no, animals wandering around. I think I saw the posters or trailers for this turn up on IMDb during yeah, the week. And, and tra- just the poster alone was enough to like make me want to watch that yeah, movie. So every now and again, I thought I just might draw our attention to the fact that, you know, there's another industry out there, other ethnic groups we really should pay attention. That's it. All right. Now, true or false time. Mark Hadley got a question for us. I have indeed. Okay. So as we know, Transformers is coming out this week. And Michael Bay is the king of all things massive when it comes to Hollywood. So I thought I should actually throw a little bit of his personal history up and get to see if you can pick which is true. Now, Michael Bay's mum really should have known what was coming in his life when he was at 13 years old responsible for one of these. Which was it? A, he blew up his train set with firecrackers (laughs) and in the process set fire to the house. Oh, I've seen his movies. It's plausible. (laughs) (laughs) Or B, he created a paper mache monster suit for the family cat. <laughs> yes. Please okay. say it had air holes. <laughs> or C, for four weeks he insisted he was an alien robot sent to destroy the world and would only answer to the name Lord Gigabeast. <laughs> Lord Gigabeast. Okay, so I'm just saying one of these things features in Michael Bay's life at 13. I think all t- of that's f- taken from the childhood of Sam Robinson. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Well... <laughs> Look, here's a question for you. What is mm. the strangest dose of TV around? It's not Foreign Correspondent, okay? <laughs> it's actually season three of Twin Peaks, that cult 90s TV show which became a surprise mainstream hit 25 years ago. Well, a quarter of a century later and Twin Peaks has made a comeback. And while much has changed, Twin Peaks continues to be anchored in weirdness and the war between good and evil in our souls. Special Agent Dale Cooper. Yeah, I know. Cooper was the last person to see my father alive. What's that? Yeah. A few days after my dad died, my mom told me that Cooper had come by the house and talked to my dad. And I guess Cooper left town pretty soon after that. Nobody's seen or heard of him since. And my dad died in the fire at his station the next day. And do you know what they talked about? I know. No, I have no idea. Well, Twin uh, Twin Peaks Season 3, it's been advertised everywhere. It seems that everybody's talking about it. Mm -hmm. Um, And to be honest, I'm a little intimidated by it. I haven't watched the original series. (gasps) What? Mark Hadley, get out of the TV reviewer. You guys haven't watched Deep Space Nine. Yep. And there's good reason. Yeah, <laughs> right, fine. Anyway, but the interesting thing is that everybody I talk to who decides they're going to watch the first episode, whether it be the old series or this new one, turns out to be some sort of obsessive TV junkie after that. Like, they're just, have you seen, have you seen what happened? Mm-hmm. I'm going, no, I haven't. Is it really all that? Uh, I, I think it is, but it's it's not... It's this new season, season three, is not for anyone who's not a fan of those original series. So I, I would not recommend to anybody... Just start watching season three. There is so much contained in the first two series of Twin Peaks, like most TV shows, right? Like jumping in at third season is usually quite bonkers. And Twin Peaks is so bonkers that to get into season three, I think would just be almost a futile exercise to try to get into it if you've not seen anything of Twin Peaks. If you have no familiarity with this small screen universe that was um, co-created actually by David Lynch, even though he's kind of famously branded as the guy behind 
behind Twin Peaks. A guy called Mark Frost also wrote and created... We should give Mark Frost more credit for, mm. for Twin Peaks. But <laughs> keep talking about David Lynch because he's a really famous art house maverick who also is just like a, 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 a weird, demented genius when it comes to like the movies and stuff that he makes. What he created in TV show Twin Peaks originally back in the 90s was so bizarre and confronting. And now in season three, I think he's just... <laughs> Gone further and further. We've got everything from evil twins to more murder mysteries, random kitsch, and graphic tangents of extreme weirdness. Okay, so it's for the fans. Uh huh. Okay, and for if the fans. And if you want to become one, go back two seasons and start watching yeah, it. Yeah, and all of them are on the streaming service stand at the moment. Okay, so what's the third season about that you can tell us for those who will probably not understand what you're saying? I don't really know. <laughs> and, 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 and I have watched all um, up until the new episode that's released today. So new episodes are coming out every Monday. I've watched everything apart from today's episode so i've seen the first six episodes um what i can explain or very briefly is that the link between season two and season three even though we're jumping 25 years is i think remarkably strong and for anyone mm. uh, who can remember the last episode of twin peaks back in 1991 uh, it's a really a really really good um jumping off point for why they've come back 25 years later so it's not that weird that it's come back but a lot has changed in Twin Peaks in 25 years, T- Twin Peaks, the TV show. And it's a really, really difficult show to describe. The, fir- the early series were as well. But this one, like, basically, it's about the, um, the lead character in the original show, FBI agent Dale Cooper, and his search for identity and meaning and closure, it, kind of jumping off again from what happened earlier on. But from that point on... I, I'm still struggling to actually be able to explain to people what really is going on without giving too much away, but also because I just don't really think I can understand it at the moment because there are wow. so many tantalizing and frustrating threads going on all at once, all over the place with all kinds of different characters, a lot from the old series that are coming back, but also new ones. And it's very difficult, I think, at the moment if to work out where this show is going. It's very glacial, moving at a very slow pace, very deliberate, I'm very intrigued, but to answer your question simply, Mark, I cannot do it. It's like trying to explain the Klingon love triangle in Deep Space Nine. Yeah, it's really not. Yeah, no. well, look, uh, <laughs> Twin Peaks Season 3, it is different to 25 years ago. You just mentioned that. Uh, but what is the same, Ben? Um, before I get to that, Sam, what's not the same, I should have pointed out, is the violence language and sexual content in the new Twin Peaks, I think, is really sadly greatly increased from mm. the 1990s, oh. 1991 show. David Lynch is like exploded with David Lynchness on screen. And sadly, I think it can like sometimes overpower what's going on. There's no need to be so graphic um, in, in Twin Peaks. I'm a little bit disappointed in that. What's um, what's the same though, Sam, is that there's this undercurrent of good and evil that I think was constantly going through the early series of Twin Peaks and it's back here again. There's a really disturbing presentation throughout Twin Peaks of being consumed by evil. And even though it's a bit loopy throughout Twin Peaks, the, the kind of supernatural spiritual warfare that's going on, particularly around FBI agent Dale Cooper... I think it's quite a nightmarish presentation of, of something that I found in the pages of the New Testament, like Ephesians 6, that talks about spiritual warfare actually going on in our world. That the, the, the devil, the dark side evil is out to get us and wants to consume us and what are we going to do about it? Twin Peaks doesn't really give <laughs> any clear or strong or unloopy answers. Okay, so it kind of like diagnoses the problem well. Yeah, yeah. But not Whereas really. Ephesians 6 says put on the full armour of God so you can stand against the tactics of the devil. You're not getting that up there in Twin Peaks but what you are being reminded of is that the battle goes on 
between good and evil for our very souls. Coming up on the big picture, a soundtrack selection that will start your engines. Get it? Engines? Cars, (laughs) maybe? Hmm? And Mark meets a new intense drama about past pain coming back to confront Ben Mendelsohn. Welcome back. Okay, chaps, we're up to the soundtrack section for the show this week. In time for ye olde school holidays, gentlemen, Cars 3 has raced into cinemas over the weekend. I'm going to bring us up to speed on that threequel a little bit later in the show, but to drive us there... <laughs> drive us there, see, I... Uh, You're a wordsmith. Uh, let's take it back to the sound of the first model of Cars.
Oh yeah, chaps. Life is a Highway by Tom Cochran. Is that like the one song that Tom Cochran had? Or is this his, it's definitely his most famous song, but he, does he have other oh, songs? Let's a... be honest, he's living off those royalties. <laughs> oh yeah, it would, particularly in his, nat- in his native, his homeland of Canada, where it hit number one. Uh, that film, I think, was made most popular by the first film, Cars. Um, it also went to number six in the US. And the song has been covered by none other than Rascal Flatts. For the car soundtrack, Rascal Flats. Is anyone a fan Flats. of? Uh, that might be his only hit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, child abuse is arguably one of the hardest topics to make a film about because mm. even those storylines aimed to support victims can actually break open old wounds just by the way a movie tells its story. Released last week, the drama Yuna is likely to hurt as many as it hopes to heal. A young woman who was abused as a teenager stumbles across her abuser and his reinvented life years later, and what emerges is a complicated and distressingly accurate picture of sin on both sides. What do you want? To see you. How did you find me? You changed your name. Is that difficult? Is it all right, Pete? Yeah, it's all good, man. How long have you been married? Four years. Poor woman, no idea who she's married to. I don't know anything about you. You were my neighbor's daughter, not a target. Where did you go? Why did you leave me? Rain, can you hear me? Rooney Mara stars as Yuna, a woman in her late 20s living in England who's living a self-destructive life, basically. She's drinking heavily. She's engaging in, engaging in degrading one-night stands. She's lying to her mother, to work colleagues. And in flashbacks, we realise that she was abused as a teenager by uh, one of her family friends, Ray, played by Australia's Ben Mendelsohn. Now, Ray and Yuna run away together when she's young uh, and he promises to start a new life with her in France. But of course, this whole fantasy comes crashing down. And later, many years later, she sees his photo in a company advertisement and she tracks him down at work and confronts him. And then the film starts. Um, Mark, there's been uh, quite a few films about sadly um child sexual abuse like how struggling for a better word than typical but like how typical is this a portrait on screen of sexual abuse inflicted on kids well generally speaking it's i wouldn't call this anything like a typical telling of child abuse stories Mm. okay because the beginning is uh, firstly the perpetrator is not as evil as he seems Okay, and that's hard to believe. I guess I'm really sensitive about talking about things like this because there will be people in our audience who have suffered abuse. Uh, but what the mm. film aims to show is that there is a whole aspect to this person's character that might not be wrapped up in or might have recovered from what they did. So there's the perpetrator, and you actually end up feeling a certain degree of sympathy for him. Do you? Yeah, yeah, that's the weird thing. He was sent to prison. He suffered a great deal there. That's quite clear. Yeah, um, this he, is Ray, the Ben Mendelsohn Ray, character. Ben, yeah, yeah, he served his time. He was counselled. He's built a new life. He hasn't reoffended. And so, in one respect, you've got a person who is on the other side of a very bad, very, very bad um, action, um, and yet he's trying to, to start again. Uh, that builds up, brings up heaps of ideas of like, about really like repentance and remorse and forgiveness uh, and that kind of thing. And, but that's not the half of it, because on the other oh. side, you've got Yuna, who's the victim, and she's not as clean a character as you'd hope. Mm. Okay, so you actually right. feel that she's actually more than a little, well, I don't I want to be careful about the word, but she's quite vindictive. 
in the way that she behaves. Right. And, and so it's so she tracks him down. Okay. She confronts him. I have no problem with that. Um, but she then decides she's going to destroy his employment. Um, she's going to accuse him and then try and have sex with him. And then she's going to track him down at home. And then she's going to try and ruin his marriage. And, and you just go, well, look, I'm not sure if I can feel so universally happy uh, about you now, you know, getting your uh, lifetime goal. You know, it's so there's a hint at the end that Ray too, and then the whole thing flips around. You're not really sure by the end of the film whether Ray's a good guy or a bad guy, whether or not Yuna is um, just tragically scarred or is actually a bit mad. Um, and it, it really is a very complex picture. How do you think audiences are going to respond to Yuna like, in this approach to child abuse? I feel it's going to be a really complex approach, basically because child abuse polarises people straight out. Mm. Okay, um, If you know a victim, if you are a victim, um, it is very hard to think... Um, differently about people that might have been involved okay and yet the truth is and i think unit does a good job of doing this that the story is much more complex okay than people realize that um that there are whole sides to people that might not have been wrapped up in the abuse that somebody could be good in some degrees and bad in others uh and i think that's really interesting i think it's going to be challenging yeah it's mm. it's very hard but i also think too that again uh it's a it's such a polarized topic. Child abuse is intensely complex. Okay, it's not something we can just do black and white statements about. Uh, it's against a minor who could be said to be innocent and manipulated in every respect. Okay, so I don't want to in any way reduce the sympathy we should have for people who've had their lives turned up. But what um, people then do with their lives afterwards um, is also still something that comes back to them and the choices that they make. So it's very interesting. Yeah, I I was. Com- profoundly uncomfortable the whole way through the film. I was going to ask you about that. Being a Christian viewer, did did anything connect with you? Yeah, you know, film? the thing that there was a strong thing. Surely did. Yeah, the yeah. thing that came out for me. I mean, yes, there's a lot to be said about the nature of forgiveness, but I, actually I didn't really dwell on that very much in the film, basically no. because the non-Christian world doesn't really have a concept of forgiveness. I mean, that is, they don't... It, you can have forgiveness uh, if you did minor things, but in the non-Christian world, we don't forgive for major things. You know, it's basically, look, you, you've done your dash, you're black, that's the way we paint you forever, you know, evil. But uh, what I saw in this particular film was really the pervasiveness of sin, like the destructiveness of sin, the way it, it's, hit, you know, so um, basically uh, Ray's character, the, the perpetrator, has done a horrible thing and the reverberations of that go on for decades The consequences, and decades. yeah. Yeah, both in Yuna's life, clearly, and in his life. Uh, and in fact, it's not just the, their lives, but the people he works with or the, the, the family he's going to try and form later in life or, in fact, um, Yuna's ability to connect with anybody. And then there's this whole sort of radioactivity of sin, like the, just the idea that it it, um, it, it it infects people who are just quite next to the problem. It draws other people in. It draws out bad behaviour from all of us. So it's really... I spent a lot of time as a journalist speaking to victims, mm. and one of the things that I really noticed is that you uh, the best people to recover are those who've been able to put what happened to some degree behind them. Unistars, Rini Mara and Australia's Ben Mendelsohn. Not for the faint-hearted, as you just heard. It's rated M for mature themes, sex and coarse language. And it opened nationally last Thursday, June 22. Coming up on the big picture, we're off to the premiere of Cars 3. And in a big picture exclusive, we can reveal the best movie franchises ever 
as voted by kids. Yes, actual kids. Real kids. Yep. Welcome back to the show. It's a big week of releases for the smallest members of the family. And in a few moments, Mark and Ben are going to tackle the Pixar juggernaut Cars as it delivers its third instalment in the franchise. But also releasing this week, the fifth film for Transformers fans, The Last Night. And there's going to be plenty more where that came from in <laughs> years really to come. The last night, will no, no, no. Well, parents will keep buying tickets as long as kids keep hanging on to every episode of a film franchise. So we thought, why not go out and get some wisdom as to what's the best franchise out there from these films' primary audience? Well, here I am sitting in a fairly typical lounge room in the suburbs of Sydney, and I'm talking to a bunch of kids who know heaps about film. Let's get their names first. Jack. Kai. Noah. Emily. Riley. Okay, guys, now I'm pretty certain you've seen some films. Am I right you've seen films before? Yeah. 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 Okay, well, let's start then. What's your favourite franchise? Back to the Future. Oh, the Back to the Future franchise. Have you seen all of them? Yep. Okay, right. What about you? Star Wars. Star Wars. Every last (laughs) Star Wars film? Are they all good? I haven't seen eight or nine. Despicable Me. Harry Potter. Um, I like Planet Earth. Planet Earth? So there's... Four kids who like normal entertainment and one genius in the corner here. So we'll just take that on. So, guys, why do you think people like going back and seeing the same characters in films over and over again? Maybe because they're, like, they're really cool. Or you just want to see how their life um, story goes. Oh, okay. So you want to find out more and more about how their life goes. Who are your favourite characters? Chewbacca. Would you like to have hair like Chewbacca? Yeah. I like Marty. Because he, like, rides skateboards and he's really cool. Do you want one of those sort of floating skateboards with its own jetpack? Oh, those hoverboards. Was... Pretty cool. Yeah. Um, minions. Okay, what about you? Hermione. Hermione. Okay, you see Hermione is a bit of a role model? Yeah. Now, why that? What about What is about Hermione's character that you like the most? She's got sass and she loves reading books. I bet your mum's thrilled about the reading books. How does she about the sass? Um. Now, is it David Attenborough? Uh, yes. Okay, what do you like about David Attenborough? I like that he knows so much about nature and that he uses a lot of expression in his voice. So Cars is coming out uh, and that's going to be the third film and I guess if you count Planes it's kind of part of the same universe. Are you looking forward to Cars 3? I'm very looking forward. It looks really cool. I'm looking forward to see it in the movies with popcorn. <laughs> I, I heard I'm going to see it soon so I'm kind of... Kind of excited. <laughs> You're very hard to please. So why do you think Cars is a good franchise? What is it about Cars that you like? It's like how Lightning McQueen gets lost in number two and he it's a happy ending because he finds Max, the big truck who takes care of him again. Uh, my favourite part is like, so when he gets lost and goes to that place, a blue car says you have to <coughs> clean up our road to... Uh, leave. I like that because he got owned. <laughs> um, I like um, in number two, Figment Missile. Like, how he's a spy and all those cool gadgets. That's really good. Guys, a lot of kids' films have lessons at them. And right in the end, they sort of move towards something you're supposed to take away, something you're supposed to learn from the film. Can you remember any lessons you've learned from films or, or think you think the things that films are trying to teach you? I think a lesson was where I watched Lightning McQueen. I think a lesson is when he does a race, 
if someone like gets hurt, you go back to help them. Okay, so never leave somebody behind or always help yeah. people who are hurt. What other lessons? Can anybody think of other lessons? A lesson I learned was from, I forgot what movie it was, but this guy stole something and then like he got in massive trouble for it. So I learned like not to steal. Yeah, there are consequences for your actions. Any others? What do you think the Harry Potter franchise is telling you in the end? That it's always good to have close friends to you and like never tell them you don't need them. Like you'll always need people around you. Guys, that's brilliant. Thanks very much. And if you love that, well, you'll love some more videos we've got waiting for you over at eternitynews.com.au. We do. We are. We the... don't just talk. You can see us. We're the video generation. I thought we had faces <laughs> for radio. <laughs> That's where, what my mother where said. Where can we get these videos? <laughs> well, if you go over to eternitynews.com.au, a big supporter of The Big Picture, you'll find a bunch of videos that we do each week. One of them uh, I just did recently, You Love the Past, Three Reasons History Movies Will Always Hit It Big with Audiences, and Ben's The Mummy. Us and the Undead, How the Mummy Frames Eternal Life and How Hope is Lost in a Modern View of Life After Death. So I figure yeah, there's lots more for you to watch. Uh, you don't even need to dip into Twin Peaks. You can just <laughs> stick with us. It's weird. <laughs> <laughs> As we've just discussed, uh, sequels in our cinemas are becoming about as common as finding Ben scraping out the bottom of the popcorn machine for one more hit of buttery goodness. <laughs> I've seen you there. It's sad we <laughs> tried to get him off the street. It's sad but true. <laughs> <laughs> Pixar's latest school holiday offering is Cars 3, the third all-ages race for animated automobile Lightning McQueen. And this time, Mr. McQueen is wrestling with what happens to younger models as they get old. You are about to become the biggest brand in racing. Movie deals, infomercials, product endorsements. You think you're famous now? <laughs> we'll be rich beyond belief. Mr. Sterling, what is this about? Your legacy. Every time you lose, you damage yourself. I'm sorry. Your racing days are coming to an end. Well, did you like the sound of that? We figured we'd send our little kids, Ben and Mark, here <laughs> in the studio, <laughs> off to the the big premiere of Cars 3 to mix with Australia's youngest car, uh, race fans and see how they like Pixar's latest lap around the cinema. Well, here we are at the Sydney premiere of Cars 3, and Ben and I have just spent one hour and 49 minutes watching the next sequel in this series. Ben, what was it like actually in the cinema with all the kids? I, mean, I thought in the cinema with the kids during the film wasn't anywhere as fired up as going into the cinema. We were here at the premiere. There was a, like a, a huge car, like life-size version of Lightning McQueen, and there were kids like playing with car toys and getting their photos taken and all that kind of thing, pumps. And then during the movie, it was curiously quiet, apart from maybe some babies crying in the cinema. There wasn't much <laughs> laughter. There wasn't much... like kids didn't seem to latch onto this story. Actually, I thought this was a film where they might have been more interested in the popcorn and then, Dad, can I go home? I was way more interested in the popcorn. What did you think of this story? Uh, look, the story for me was kind of... I didn't know where it was going for a while. I thought, you know, OK, Light McQueen is getting old, is getting older. Now he's in denial. Now he's going to get better. Now he's going to do a comeback. Now he's not. I wasn't sure what he was doing. 
I was sitting next to one of your sons who kept telling me during the movie this is a very reminiscent. He didn't. He was saying deja vu, not reminiscent. But a lot of it was kind of, was harking back to the first movie. That if by Cars three, they're still going back and ripping off the first one. And some of the better moments in this film maybe kind of. Uh, conjure memories of the first one well, which did, doesn't say anything particularly good for this third movie. Yeah, they didn't have to conjure memories so much, did they? Because basically they were doing a lot of flashbacks. Yeah. There's a lot of flashbacks to Doc Hudson. If you loved him as a character, you'll see him again and again and again <laughs> in the film and then you'll find, it's almost like they had to find a new Doc Hudson with a character called Smokey. Yeah. Uh, so basically to do that whole sort of passing of the torch of the experience and that sort of stuff. Which is probably the most, the biggest point of, point of difference about Cars 3 is uh, there's a female character in this, Cruz, who's a trainer of Lightning McQueen, and Lightning McQueen keeps banging on for most of the movie about how he wants to go out on his own terms and he wants to get faster and faster and faster to race against the younger models, while this female car character coming through is uh, trying to help him out in that cause. So I think the most novel thing about Cars 3 is Cruz, the female car. Now, I was really impressed with that as an idea because you had this sense of laying down your own racing opportunities so you could better somebody else's. So there's, there's Cruz doing the best she can to actually make sure that Lightning McQueen will do better and better. And at first, she seems a bit like um, she's patting him on the head, a bit condescending, but actually she knows what's better for him and she's not taking her own opportunities so that he can take his. What did you think of that? It's a pretty interesting message given she's the younger character. There's so much in Cars 3 that we're told often, time and time again, about how old Lightning McQueen is, how he's on his way out, it's almost at retirement, and he can't accept that. He's an old-timer who will, who refuses to admit it could be time for him to hang up his, his tyres and, and, and go, go away. So he's often more pig-headed and stubborn throughout the whole film than some of the younger characters, particularly Cruz, which... I'm confused about it. He's the hero of this film, but I found him really, really unlikable for the vast majority of this film. <laughs> Almost three quarters of the film, he was really turning me off. And I'd, be, I'd love to talk to younger viewers about what they think of their hero, Lightning McQueen, after this film, because he's just a bit of a stubborn old goat. Well, I take a stab in the dark, and watching my own kids, I would have said that they probably were taking more interest in the side characters than they were taking in McQueen himself. So McQueen does a strange sort of route all the way through this. Hey, listen, before we get on to talking about his great philosophy for finishing the film out, what did you think of the female element that was brought in almost deliberately right on top of the storyline without giving away how it ends? I liked it. It seems a little bit obvious that you go down this route of not just passing a baton, but passing a baton to a female character. Uh, so it's got a—it's not, not not necessarily Wonder Woman on the scale of like female empowerment. Uh, but I think separate to it feeling a little bit cliched, I actually liked it. But I think I liked this part of it, getting behind a female character, like seeing a girl rise up through the ranks. I think I liked that element of the film more because I didn't like all this other stuff to do with Lightning McQueen and what his philosophy was and his approach to racing was that was bugging me so much I kind of got behind Cruz as the female coming through the ranks. Now I get the feeling that we're probably going to see another uh, Pixar Cars film and it does look like they're aiming specifically to include more girls in the franchise basically by adding in Cruz herself as the trainer who takes her own time on the track. We'll look out for that when you get in but there is one key philosophy that seems to f to shape this entire thing on my own terms. You hear this phrase, on my own terms, all the time. What did you think of that? 
Uh, no, not, not very much. I think as we've already alluded to throughout our, our quick uh, review, as we've just walked out of the cinema scene, Cars 3, seems like both of us have had a pretty overwhelming reaction, and it's not necessarily positive, towards this um, very strong message going through the film, like most of the way throughout, throughout the film, of uh, refusing to accept that you cannot go out unless it's on your own terms. You must be able to decide when something finishes for you. I'm very interested to know, Mark, what you're going to be talking to your boys about on the way home if they start putting their hand up and saying like <laughs> can we just be like lightning mcqueen and just decide anything in our life when it's going to end when it's going to finish up the lack of humility in lightning mcqueen i think is a it will be a fascinating subject matter for parents all around the world as they try to help their kids understand <laughs> why does he have such a lack of humility why does he keep going on and refusing to admit what reality is instead just saying i'm going to go out on my own terms no matter what now, I suspect if they race Cars 3 in the car, I'm going to say, how about Despicable Me 3 instead? Cars 3 opened at cinemas last Thursday and is rated G for very mild themes and coarse language. Really? What sort of coarse language? Very mild. Probably very said very awesome. mild, I mild take it. Mild coarse language. Mm. Who knows? And it's Cars. It's kind of weird as well. Mm. Uh, it features the vocal stylings of Owen Wilson, Army Hammer, Chris Cooper and Larry the Cable Guy. Larry the Cable Guy. <laughs> well, coming up on the big picture, the top five car movies. Zoom, zoom. Welcome back to the show. Well, there's been a lot of Cars talk on the show tonight, mm-hmm. lads, uh, obviously celebrating the release of Cars 3. So I thought, top five, let's hear the top five car films ever. Great. All right, Mark? No. I'm just basically saying the car film has been done. Okay, and it's been yeah. done well, gentlemen. It's been done well decades before any of these films came out. So I kind of figured that I'd be given a, a chance to all the young whippersnappers out there to have a look at car films that were old when their parents were learning to drive. <laughs> what? It's well worth it. Okay, look, seriously. Behold, my top five ancient automobile extravaganzas. Five. Okay, kids, none of you remember the 80s. This is not a chance. Are you but- saying the 80s is ancient? Oh, come on. Okay, Mate, this- it's not the 30s like <laughs> Ben McKechn last okay, week. Look, I, if I, I was asked, all over the 30s. You were. <laughs> yeah. But I'm, I'm just saying, look, if I asked at least one person in this room, apart from yourself, Ben, uh, when they were born, we're not hitting the 80s, okay? I this was is- born in the 80s. Were you? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> you look 15. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'm going to turn off your microphone. <laughs> Anyway, back so, to the 80s. Thank you. Yes, back 87 80s, model. One of the myself. classic, one of the classic car movies of all times has to be the Blues Brothers. Oh yes, yeah, okay. Jake Blues is uh, James Blues. He's just out of prison. Puts together his old band to save the Catholic home where he and his brother Elwood Dan Aykroyd yep. were raised. Okay, now this is the classic road trip movie, and yes. I love it because it's a great expression of brotherhood. Okay, that's that's what the road trip is really about. Is how far are you prepared to go? I mean, not just notionally, but figuratively, how far are you prepared to drive for the sake of your brother? So if you haven't actually got into road trip films before, there is no better place to start than with the Blues Brothers. A trip to the 1980s, make you very happy, and also get a few good songs along the way. Four. Here's one that I reckon most of you haven't actually heard of. It's from the 1960s. Here's a car movie. It's a mad, 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 mad world. Heard of it. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Seriously, and have, you, even have you tried, seen it? I even tried watching it uh, yeah, a couple of weeks ago. On, yeah, here my, my expression. I was, it's on Stan, I think, and it didn't grab me in the opening minutes. It's like three hours long, isn't it? It's a massive road trip now, movie. Now, listeners, 
just look, this is a wonderful opportunity for you to go back and check our website, uh, thebigpicturewebsite.com, for the previous episode, where you'll discover that Ben is actually reflecting a certain degree of bitterness over how we treated his top five last week. Oh, it's not, <laughs> no, no, it's not, not coming from bitterness. But, okay. But uh, it's a, a mad, bit. mad, mad <laughs> world, I just might underline, is in fact a classic, a fantastic film, funny in all of its three-hour goodness. <laughs> the dying words of a thief spark a madcap cross-country race to find a treasure. Okay, and it's just what I loved most about it as a kid as I was watching this was just the idea of all the crazy cars and things and methods of transport they come up with to do this. So this this happens so many ways. Hollywood's picked it up again and again and again. Just this idea of surprise, there's a treasure out there somewhere. Let's see who can get to it first. I think it was remade about ten years ago as Rat Race, and it yeah, had like yeah, Whoopi exactly. Goldberg and John Cleese in it because the original film it was like star studded for the sixties, wasn't it? It was mm. massive. And in this film, in fact, I think is kind of worth dragging out. And you're right, it's the sort of film that's so good that if you take a nap for an hour and a half in the middle, you probably won't miss any of the plot. (laughs) Three. Now... Uh, There's a whole range of films that came out in the 70s that basically captured me as a kid, and they are car movies. And I think I've tried them on my own kids. They love them. I'm talking about the Herbie movies. Yes. Okay. Now, Herbie Goes to Monte Carlo was my particular favourite. Okay. Mainly because I didn't even know where Monte Carlo was. And so it sort of (laughs) had a certain sort of. I had a biscuit in a tray. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It had a certain sort of je ne sais quoi. Okay. So, 1977, Herbie the Volkswagen Beetle with a mind of his own is racing in the Monte Carlo. Carlo Rally, unbeknownst to Herbie's driver, thieves have hidden a cache of stolen diamonds in his gas tank, and now they're trying to get him. Now, why did I like this car film so much? Because Herbie is the pet you always wanted. Yeah. Basically, if you... Yeah, if you took it, if you took it out and turned him, if you put fur on him, he'd be that mischievous dog or something like that. Was always running around and There's chewing furniture. There's a sequel furniture. yet to be made when this happens. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, if you haven't had your kids discover Herbie films yet, Herbie Goes to Monte Carlo is a great place to begin. Two. Speaking of what my father actually introduced me to, um, this led me to consider that great car film, Convoy. Do you guys know this film, Chris Christopherson? Similar to It's Rubber a Mad, Duck. Mad World. Tried watching it. <laughs> oh, Bored. Seriously? Yeah. Uh, but, but please, uh, keep talking about your dad and how you loved it. Well, uh, it's more of an interest story about, you know, uh, those sort of moments that parents have where they go, this seems like a really good idea. Okay, so uh, it was a trucking movie. Yes. And my brother, who's a few years older than me, just a couple of years older, really liked trucks. So dad thought, well, I will take my two boys to the trucking movie. Now, there are certain lifestyles that seem to carry on in, in trucking car parks and things like that. Probably that you don't want to expose a six and an eight-year-old <laughs> to. <laughs> so, oh. so all so, I remember is my father saying, have another snake. Just have, have some more popcorn. Look away, look away. The entire way, look away, children. But there, what I do take away from Convoy is this great sense of, I mean, the film is basically about a, a a convoy of trucks that just gets larger and larger and larger as it heads across uh, the uh, the continent of the United States, um, you know, with this sort of fantastical desire that it's going to get from coast to coast sort of thing. And Chris Christopherson, the rubber duck, is leading them there and the cops are out to get them and blah, blah, blah. You know, but basically it's a kind of an idea of family that can't be stopped. Like an outlaw family? Yeah, and I really kind of like that because <laughs> I like the idea um, of, of, a, of belonging to something 
that even though it might not actually get social uh, approval, yet it was in fact a, a tight knit unit that could carry you right across life. Um, now I know this like is like the really, Fast and Furious franchise. Well, I, I, I'm actually waxing. family, <laughs> family. <laughs> I was actually thinking Christian, but you've killed it for me. Yeah. The whole Fast and the Furious thing. Oh my goodness, see, that's distinctly not in my list. Anyway. Which brings us to our number one car film of all time. Ancient Automobile Extravaganza, I believe, is the list you're doing. It sits neatly across both. Duel. Okay. Duel? Smokey and the Bandit. No. People. Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. (laughs) 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 Oh, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang is the best. Okay, you've got Dick Van Dyke as as Mr. Potts, this sort of down, he's like inventor who finds a broken down Grand Prix car. (laughs) It was once upon a time a fancy vehicle. He decides to do it up for his kids so they can take trips to the seaside. There's so much love in this film. It's unbelievable. And then they go off on this magical fantasy adventure because <laughs> the car basically can do anything. Okay. Now... Blues Brothers was at number five. Blues Brothers yep. was at number Just five. Checking. Chitty yep. Chitty Bang Bang not only has wonderful songs like Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, the title, <laughs> and Toot Sweet. Let's not forget that one. <laughs> Sorry. I just want uh, just notice Mad Max isn't on the list. Yeah, he's not on the list either because he doesn't have a posh, posh travelling life, which is another <laughs> musical number well worth having. Um, but I also like the idea of a car that could pretty much just do anything. Okay, you know, it, it can fly, it can float, it can put up umbrellas if you're getting sunburns. You know, it knows the best place for picnics. Um, it kind of reminded me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, yes. I wish my car knew Picnics, that. Picnics, children. It's something we used to do when we didn't have cinemas to go to. You just go sit on the grass and talk to each other instead. But look, basically, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang is a really good feel, you know, feel-good family film um, that actually has some really strong morals in it. And really, ultimately, it is that life is uh, can be a whole lot of junk pieces but can come together and can actually be really worth having. Now... I know you won't believe me, but this is absolutely true. This did inform my philosophy of life, okay? Because I actually came from a kind of a junkyard background, okay? Um, we, we just lived uh, in a way where there were lots of pieces of all sorts of things, and my father would be assembling stuff all the time and rebuilding things and stuff. And it actually gave me a bit of a philosophy for life because I realized that you can take all sorts of broken things that don't seem to look much in randomness and put them together and come up with something pretty amazing, which is what God does with people. Uh, And I realized that myself, that I could have all sorts of rusty and broken bits or parts that didn't seem to fit. And yet, strangely, I get to the august years I'm in now, you know, commentating on the radio and realizing (laughs) God had a place for all of those things. So, gentlemen, I give you my triumph, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. What an unusual car. Mommy made it. Oh, and it actually goes. It's called Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. That's a curious name for a motor car. But that's the sound it makes. Listen. Chitty Bang Bang, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Chitty Bang Bang, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Chitty Bang Bang, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Oh, you, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. We love you and Oh, I'd love that song to keep going forever. But we're out of time. <laughs> okay. Huh. But next week on the show, a big one, we're going to talk about Baby Driver. Baby Driver yeah. from one car to another. We're also going to talk about a movie called Army of One, which proposes this amazing idea of what would you do if God showed up and told you to hunt down the most wanted man in the world? Mm. That's Pl- Army of One. 
plus Michael Bay's next attempt to build a house. Uh, we're basically <laughs> going to have his Transformers the last night. The last night. I won't transform next week. I'm just going to be Ben McKechn. And I'll still be Mark Hadley. The Big Picture is a Bible Society Australia production, sharing the light of God's Word into every corner of your world. 